I don't know if you've ever had the occasion, as I had recently, of having contact with someone with whom you'd not had contact uh, in a long time. In 1976, I started attending Linfield College, which was a small Baptist college in McMinnville, Oregon. Went there for a couple of years before I transferred to Abilene Christian. And during those two years that I was there, I had uh, two guys from Hawaii that lived across the hall from me. One of them was Japanese extract, and one was Portuguese, but they had both been born and raised in Hawaii. And, and we just became uh, fast friends, really good friends. Uh, went on a spring break campaign, or not a spring break campaign, spring break trip together to Southern California when we were freshmen. My, my roommate was from Southern California, and so we went down and spent the week at his parents' house, and I'd never been to Southern California before, so we went on the beach and did all the things that spring break people do, at least the good things that spring break people do. Not all good things that spring break people do are good. But I, we just, uh, we did the good things. And um, enjoyed ourselves very much. It was a great trip. And, and that trip, along with many other kind of details of our life together for a couple of years, really cemented a relationship between us. One of the things that happened during that time was uh, I had invited one of the guys across the hall, Glenn Nagata, uh, who I, was the one that I recently had contact with. And uh, I'd invited him to go to church with me on a Sunday morning. So he came, and I knew that Glenn had some connection to the Lord. You know, he'd gone to church some when he was a child, and uh, so he came with me on that day. And during the whole service, and I, you know, more than just during the Lord's Supper or something, or more than just during the sermon, during pretty much the whole service, Glenn cried. He cried during the whole, the whole time that we were worshiping. And, you know, a couple of different times I kind of, you know, put my arm around him and said, you okay? And, you know, he said, I'm fine and, and that. And, of course, afterwards, you know, I said, you know, so what was going on with you? You know, what, you know, all these tears through a whole church service. And he never really got to the bottom of what was going on with him. I, I, think, he was, I think he was missing his family. You know, he didn't get to go home very often. I think he was missing his girlfriend. As it turned out, he actually... During the whole three years that he spent in Oregon going to school, he never dated anybody else. Uh, then, you know, and, and his girlfriend, he had a girlfriend back home, never dated anybody, and then went home and, uh, and married that girl. After having been away from her for three years, he went back and married her, which I found striking. They've been married for 30 years now. And so Glenn was um, a, a guy, obviously, with a soft heart and things on his mind and you know, they talk about still waters running deep, and, and things ran deep in Glenn's life. And it was striking that this young man, who was at that point 19 years old perhaps, could cry during a whole church service. Well, I have not seen Glenn, I haven't talked to him since 1979. So it's been 32 years. And this week, or last week actually, I kind of got it in my mind that I was going to try and find him. And with Facebook and Googling and all those kind of things these days, you can do that fairly easily. And so I did a search for Glenn Nagata in Honolulu, and I eventually found the place where he worked. He works at a mortgage company called Finance Factors. He's been with them since 1979 with the same company for 32 years. And so I called him, and 
You know how when you call somebody after that long, sometimes like people say this, and, and this was certainly true, you say, it's as if we talked last week. You know, the same kind of relationship that we had 32 years ago, we still have. And so we talked for an hour and 15 minutes on the phone. We set this up so that we would talk on a Saturday morning. I talked to him last Saturday morning. We talked for an hour and 15 minutes on the phone. And we, I mean, you know, reminisced about all the, the, the good things that we did at Linfield and all the fun we had. And then at one point, because I, I had written him an email earlier and I'd said, Glenn, I just want you to know, I'm, you know, I miss you and I know we haven't contacted in 30 years, but, but you're, you know, one of the people that has always been really important to me in my life. And I didn't know how he would respond to that. It's been 32 years. I mean, he could be a completely different person than the person I knew then. But as we talked on the phone, I mean, it was very clear that he was indeed this same person, and he started talking to me about, uh, about the blessing that our relationship was with each other during that time that he was away from his family and away from his girlfriend and at school for those three years. And I said to him, well, Glenn, do you remember the time that we went to church together and you cried during the whole service? And he said, well, Kelly, that's exactly what I mean. I, I remember so clearly that we got together and, and had good talks. And I remember that we did that, that I cried during that whole service. He said, that was a really rough time for me. And I needed, I needed somebody there. And he said, you were that person, which was great. But then he said, let's bring that forward 32 years. He said, I still need somebody. And he said, the reason why is because I keep thinking about my father's death. Now, his dad died, I think, in about 1991. And Glenn said, ever since my father passed away, he said, I have been mad at God. He said, I've been mad at him. He said, I can't believe that you called me. And that all of a sudden you're renewing this relationship right at a point when I am, have been thinking a lot about the fact that I have been mad at God for all these years following my dad's death. And what had happened was that his dad, who you know, worked all his life hard like everybody else, died at 62. And Glenn was really bothered and upset that God had taken his father at age 62 when he felt like he had so much life still to live. And he had just retired. He'd worked all these years, built up this company, had a construction company. Mr. Magada built up this company, and then at age 62, like that, died. Didn't get to enjoy all his retirement years, of course, that he had planned to live. And Glenn was bothered by that. So it gave us an occasion again to talk about things that were meaningful. And it's amazing to me that after 32 years, you could suddenly go deep with someone so that he and I were sharing again at a level as if we had just talked last week, as if we had been talking weekly for 32 years. All of a sudden, we were at just a, another level. And you know how that, how that is. You can, we can talk about hockey and we can talk about how's work going and all kinds of superficial things and then boom, all of a sudden, we're talking about real life stuff and talking about how we hurt or talking about our most profound joys or the things that are most meaningful to us, talking to us, talking about children and families and what it means to raise kids in the Lord and all those kinds of things. That, like we can go deep quickly 
and get beyond the surface, and, and Glenn and I did. And it was just, it was so wonderful as I had a chance to share with him some of my thoughts about even his father, whom I didn't know, and what it means to work all your life and then die and not be able to, to enjoy that retirement. Like, what's going on there, God? How does that happen? Well, let me tell you what I said to Glenn, and that kind of gets me into the passage today. What I said to Glenn was, Glenn, I don't believe that God took your father's life. I don't believe that God was looking at your father and allowed him to work all those years, and then all of a sudden he was at age 62 decided, oh, I'll take him now before he has a chance to enjoy his retirement. I don't think that that's the way that God deals with us. And so I said to Glenn, Glenn, I think that there are a lot of things that happen in our world that are free events. That God has created a world in which sometimes people get to be 62 years old and they die. Sometimes they get to be two years old and they die. That's the way that our world works. And he said, you mean that God just allows things to just occur and there's, there's no interaction from God in our world at all? It's just free events all over? And I said, no, I don't mean that. There are times I'm absolutely convinced when God does intervene. But there are a lot of times when I think he doesn't. If a young girl is standing along uh, the sidewalk and a drunk comes driving down the street and jumps the curb with his car and hits her and she dies... Well, God didn't pour any alcohol down that fellow's throat. And I don't think that God pushed a little girl out onto the sidewalk there so that he would jump the curb and hit her at that moment. I think there are sometimes when free events just occur. God has created a world in which people can make a choice to drink alcohol, and sometimes when they do, other people get killed. And it's a tragedy when that takes place. There are other times when it seems clear to me that God actually orchestrates things. There are some times when I think he intercedes, he intervenes, and he brings things about exactly as he wants them to be. And I don't know God's mind. I can't tell when he's going to do that and when he's not. But there are indications in Scripture that that's exactly how he works, and I think we have one of them today in this passage. Look with me at John chapter 11. This is on page 760 in the Bibles again, in the Pew Bibles. And it starts out like this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, that's an interesting line. The one you love. Clearly, Jesus had affection for this family. He cared about Lazarus. He cared about Mary and Martha. I think that they were close to him. I think that he had special relationship with these people. And so they sent word to him, the one you love is sick. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this is a remarkable line, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her, sister, and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if, if you had heard that someone you dearly loved had a sickness that could end in death, and you knew that you could do something about it, I'm not sure that you'd wait two more days. You probably would have said, I'm going to get going here. I can do something about this. If you were the one doctor in the world who could fix the problem that there was with your best friend, you would go. Jesus decides not to. Apparently, I think, because he has a plan. Verse 7, then he says to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. And so Jesus clearly has a plan here. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. They're thinking about the fact that the Jews had planned on stoning Jesus, and they're not wanting to go there at all. If they're going to stone Jesus, they may well have some rocks that don't hit Jesus, but hit them. He'll get better. We don't need, if he's just sleeping, we don't need to go, Jesus. This is okay. There are, there's the possibility that there are some stray rocks that may hit us if we go down there. Verse 13, Jesus has been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Verse 14, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. This is amazing. I'm glad I wasn't there. I can do something about this, but I'm glad I wasn't there. And that's because he has a plan. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us all go that we may die with him. That's what they expect. They're thinking that when they go, they're going to be stoned, just like Jesus is going to be stoned. Then we go on into the passage uh, that's already been read this morning. I want you to look specifically at verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, the first time you read that, you think there's a little bit of scorn there. She's saying, "You, you could have saved him, but you didn't. You could have been here. What is this waiting two days and then coming down here? We sent the message quite a, a while ago. You could have been here by now, but you're, you weren't here. What was going on? But then we see great faith. So I don't know that Martha really said it with that spirit. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection the last day. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, she believes that, but I'm not thinking that Martha is really believing that Jesus is about to raise her brother. Yes, I know he will rise again, On the last day, she says. And she can confess and say, you're the the son of God. You can do wonderful things. But I don't think that Martha has in mind that her brother is about to be raised from the dead. And this is where the wonderful beauty of Jesus 
comes on the scene. I know the children are here today, and I don't know if the kids would know this or not, but they might. And so if I have a kid raise their hand, this would be just fine. But there's a verse in this chapter which is well known as the shortest verse in the Bible. Okay? Is there anybody, especially if you're like under 11 or so, or 11 or 10 or something, do you know what the verse is that says, that is the shortest verse in the Bible? Do you know what that is? Hunter, you're nodding your head. What does the shortest verse in the, in the New Testament say? Do you know? Jesus sobbed or Jesus wept. That's exactly right. Do you know where that's found, Hunter? You are exactly right. It's in John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. And that's a remarkable verse. Not just because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's a remarkable verse because it shows us the depth of the feeling of Jesus about these people. We've just read passage after passage that indicates that Jesus knew exactly where he was going with this. I'm I'm going there because God is going to be glorified through this event. I know you're scared to death that you're going to go down here and you're going to be stoned, but I need to tell you we're going to do something and God's going to work through that something. And he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet it says that Jesus wept. Why is it that Jesus wept in that circumstance? Because I think he saw the grieving of those whom he loved. He cared so much for them that it breaks his heart because their hearts are broken. I don't think that Martha was anticipating that her brother was about to be raised. If she would have, she would have been rejoicing. Her attitude would have been entirely different. Can you imagine? Jesus walks on the scene and she's thinking that Jesus is about to raise her brother. (laughs) Can't wait. Jesus is here. Things are about to change. You all think, all you mourners, you all think that he's in the grave for good. He's not. Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. He's going to raise him right now. There would have been some joy in Martha's conversation if she would have been expecting that that's really what was going to happen. This would have been a completely different kind of story. But instead, Mary and Martha are grieving. There are mourners there, and they are grieving. And all of that pain and that that grief causes Jesus himself to weep even when he knows what he's about to do because he cares so much for these people. Well, I think that's so often how God is. Sometimes events happen, I know. I don't think he has much control over them. Not that he couldn't. Of course he could. He chooses not to. He allows things to happen freely. Sometimes he allows things to happen and he knows exactly what he's going to do and he's going to intervene and I think this is one of them. And in the midst of all of that, there is opportunity for Jesus to teach and to show and for God to be glorified because Jesus is going to raise this man from the dead. And through that event comes to this family, amazing comfort. And it's a testimony to us about what happens when people 
experience tragedy and die. And isn't it so appropriate that we get to read this story this morning? Like, I didn't plan this. I, I didn't hear what, was, what had happened with Dean Muller and then choose to talk about a passage where someone's brother is raised from the dead. God did that. God is the one who puts the passage before us. God is the one who shows that there are times when events happen, but that even when those happen freely, that he is ultimately in control of this whole life and death process. And to be honest with you, I wish Sue could be here this morning. I wish that we could say to Sue this morning, I know that your brother has passed away. But we know the one who raises brothers from the dead. We know the one who, while you're grieving, Sue, and while all the Mullers are grieving this morning, we know the one who wept along with a family when a brother had died. And who not only wept, but grieved and then was able still to do something wonderful with that circumstance. I can't imagine what that family must be feeling this morning. There has been huge loss, incredible grieving. What's wonderful to know is that there is, just like the Oliver family this morning, so much heritage within that family of people who believe, who trust. And when those kind of circumstances come into our lives, this is the one in whom we can place our trust. And we have a chance, always and certainly today, to again put our faith in Him. Do you believe in this one this morning? Like, do you really believe in this one this morning? I do. When I told Glenn to get on the phone, Glenn, I believe that God loves you and that he loved your father and that while he creates a world in which free events like this occur, that it doesn't for a moment mean that he doesn't love you, that he doesn't care. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have his heart broken when your heart breaks. And Glenn, you can put your trust in that one. And we have that chance. You have that chance. If you're not a Christian today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the one in whom you have the opportunity to put your trust. You can give your life to the one who controls death. 
And I can't promise in your life that he's always going to intervene and make everything absolutely wonderful. I can't promise that he's never going to allow someone in your family to get sick and die. I can't promise you that there won't be accidents. I can't promise you that events won't take place that we wish wouldn't happen. I can't promise you that there won't be genuine hurt or even tragedy that comes into your life. God allows free events to take place. But I assure you, I guarantee you, I absolutely believe with every fiber of my being that the one who controls all those free events ultimately is this one. And then in the end, God supplies life to the dead. That he, that he provides comfort for the hurting. That he takes children and places them in families. He takes lonely ones, puts them in church families. And one day we will all be in heaven as part of that one great family. And God does that because when someone hurts, he weeps. And he loves us the way that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loves you like that. And so if you haven't given him your life, if you haven't put your trust in him, I want to really suggest to you that you do. I want to encourage you to give your life to this one. He is worthy to be trusted. Let's pray. Holy Father, we ask that you be with Glenn Nagata and his family this morning. I pray for my friend. God, I don't think that Glenn has a relationship with you. But I pray that you would use me to show you to him. Thank you for the opportunity we've already had to discuss things below just the surface. To go deeper than, than just spring break trips. And I pray that I can be a, a voice that speaks your word to him. That he and those whom he loves can put their lives completely in your hands. Father, for Sue Nielsen this morning, I pray for her and her family as they reflect on Dean Muller and his life. God, we believe that you're the one who raises our lost brothers from the dead. I pray that you would work in their lives, help them to see that to believe it, to absolutely trust you. And Lord, if there are others here this morning who don't know you yet as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that through your Spirit right now that you'd be working on their hearts, that you would be massaging and changing and shaping And let their lives, Father, become filled with faith as they devote themselves to you. Father, we thank you so much this morning for the example that Jesus leaves us. That he shows you to us in one who cares like he cared. And who with purpose impacted lives for the benefit of, of all of us so that we could see the beauty of you in this story. We thank you and praise you for that as well. God, be with us as we...
continue to worship you this morning as we move on past here. Fill our lives with trust in you always. We confidently give ourselves to you this morning through Christ. Amen.